Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. With President Biden's nomination of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court, Jackson enters the confirmation process to fill the seat of Justice Stephen Breyer when he retires this summer. A graduate of Harvard Law and a former clerk for Breyer, Jackson is a former public defender, an expert on federal sentencing policy, and currently serves as an appeals court judge on the D.C. Circuit. At the White House Friday, Jackson noted she shares a birthday with Constance Baker Motley, the first black woman ever to be appointed as a federal judge. I proudly stand on Judge Motley's shoulders sharing not only her birthday, but also her steadfast and courageous commitment to equal justice under law. Judge Motley's life and career has been a true inspiration to me as I have pursued this professional path. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed as the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, I can only hope that my life and career my love of this country and the Constitution, and my commitment to upholding the rule of law and the sacred principles upon which this great nation was founded will inspire future generations of Americans. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson will be the first black woman ever to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court if confirmed. And joining me now is Olatunde C. Johnson, a professor of law at Columbia Law School who served on President Biden's Presidential Commission on the Supreme Court. Professor Johnson, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nina. Also with us, Melissa Murray, professor of law at NYU School of Law and co-host of the Strict Scrutiny podcast. Professor Murray, glad to have you on as well. Thank you for having me, Nina. And I guess, uh, Melissa Murray, I'll start with you. Would just love to get your overall impression of Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. I think this is a brilliant nomination for so many reasons. This is someone with an unassailable record, um, with deep and wide experience in a wide range of different capacities in the legal profession. She's not only been a judge, she's been a member of the Sentencing Commission. And notably, she will be the first justice to have ever served as a public defender and the first justice since Thurgood Marshall left the bench in 1991 to have worked in criminal defense. And given the breadth of the court's criminal justice docket, that is truly significant. So I think this is just mm. a brilliant, outstanding nomination. What was your reaction, Olatunde Johnson, when you heard that uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson was the nominee? I also just thought it was a wonderful nomination and historic in all the ways that Professor Murray just talked about. And the piece that Professor just Murray just mentioned about the public defense experience really, really struck me, um, especially since it's been since Thurgood Marshall that we've had someone on the court. I also, I clerked um, a, a few years uh, before um, 
uh, Judge Brown Jackson, and I have met her a few times and just really think she's one of the most thoughtful human beings, just very insightful and um, really, really warm and generous. Um, I saw her interact with some of our students and she was really fantastic in that mentoring capacity. So her temperament is very good too, I think for a judge or justice. Can you say a little bit more about how you think her experience as a public defender will inform her perspectives on the court? Why that's significant to you, Olatunde Johnson? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's just number one, I think a lot of us pay attention to a few really hot button issues, and those are very important. And I think a key question has been, how is she really going to change anything on those issues? There's so many more questions that the court is dealing with that affect um, people every day that, that have to do with criminal procedure, that have to do with policing as an institution. So she'll really bring that understanding. Even today, the court decided not to review a case involving ineffective assistance of counsel. Um, This is something that she might have been able to bring some insight to. Mm. The other thing is just about empathy. And um, I think that many of us um, in the law can forget how these rules affect ordinary litigants, ordinary people. And I think someone who has empathy from having those perspectives. I mean, a final thing I just want to mention, just um, Professor Murray mentioned her role on the Sentencing Commission. I think that's key because oftentimes um, judges and justices do not think about the impact of their sentencing uh, decisions on human lives. It also is an institution where she had to work with people in a bipartisan way. So um, I think all of those, um, uh, you know, experiences and skills she's developed from 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 those experiences will be helpful. And at the same time, Melissa Murray, she spoke about on Friday the fact that she has family connections to law enforcement. Um, and what do you think about her noting that? I think it was a very um, subtle and maybe even charming in some degree uh, rebuke to the media, which has really made much of the fact that she has an uncle who served a life sentence and is serving a life sentence for drug crimes. And I think she was saying, you know, yes, I have this member of my family and I am particularly attuned to the impact of drug crimes on individuals and individual family members, but I also have family members who are involved in law enforcement. So I thought this was sort of broadening her range, um, showing the media that there was actually much more to this story than what they had chosen to cover. And I also think, um, It was something that I think might be resonant with some members of the Black community who may have family members who are involved in the criminal justice system, but who also are very interested and deeply invested in law enforcement because they, too, want safe communities. Yes, uh, lots of family members involved in law enforcement and an interesting thing to note when, as you say, so much of the media attention was on her uncle, who was sentenced to life in prison on drug charges. We'll be talking more about Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson after the break with Professor Murray and Professor Johnson. So stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. 
This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about federal appellate court judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, who was nominated to the Supreme Court on Friday. And we're joined by Melissa Murray, professor of law at NYU School of Law, co-host of the Strict Scrutiny podcast, and also Olatundesi Johnson, Jerome B. Sherman, professor of law at Columbia Law School. She also served on President Biden's Presidential Commission on the Supreme Court. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What are your questions about Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson? What does the nomination of Judge Brown-Jackson mean to you? You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also post your questions or thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or on Instagram, you can email us, forum at kqed.org. One thing I was struck by was when uh, President Biden was introducing Judge Jackson on Friday, he called her a, quote, proven consensus builder, um, even before noting that she's an accomplished lawyer and a distinguished jurist. Uh, but given the court's composition, I'm curious, Professor Johnson, you mentioned that she may hold sway in terms of decisions for what cases to take, um, especially with regard to criminal justice. But I'm curious in what other areas you think she might hold sway, possibly in some really major uh, political cases. In honesty, I think it, it's difficult to say over the short term. Um, I mean, the court does decide side a lot of issues and sometimes surprises us. I mean, I think recently being somewhat surprised by the court's ruling in the federal employment law case um, where it ruled that gay people, people on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation are covered by federal anti-discrimination law. So the court sometimes does surprise us, but I think it's unlikely she will be able to persuade the you know, conservative members of, on, of the Supreme Court on some of these hot button issues in the short term. So I think we'll have to look for a longer horizon um, to see much change in that area. I tend to be on the more hopeful side about things. I clerked for a justice who was appointed by a Republican, and he changed his views on a number of issues and really listened to his colleagues. I'm hopeful that there's still that possibility of an arc of a justice's career that allows them to really listen to their colleagues um, uh, develop new understandings of issues and and have those kinds of changes of the time of, over time. And I think Judge Brown Jackson has many of the qualities that would suit her to being someone who could be a participant in that evolution. She cites Justice Breyer's skills in that capacity as really being a role model for her. That he's someone who was very pragmatic and someone who really believes in uh, consensus. I don't think he's always been successful, unfortunately, but I think it is a good orientation for justice to have. And uh, the justice that you clerked for is Justice John Paul Stevens, correct? Yes. Um, Melissa Murray, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, given the court's current composition. I think you've raised some questions about the role of, quote, consensus builders. I think the interest in her skills at becoming a consensus builder is really a conceit of the president who has made much of his own um, crossing the aisle and being bipartisan and being able to um, sway colleagues who are not necessarily of his political persuasion. And so I think um, to the extent that nominees channel 
the interests of those who nominate them, then yes, of course, he is going to be interested in someone who he views as a consensus builder. But as Professor Johnson said, in the short term, the prospect of consensus, I think, is actually quite limited. Um, this is a very solid six to three conservative supermajority. So in the cases that really count, the hot button issue cases, I don't think we're going to see Justice Jackson having an opportunity to bring some of the more hardline conservatives to her side. Um, there may be some opportunities on cases that may not matter as much or the impact may not be quite as pronounced in the national landscape. But I think if we take a longer horizon, and I think you know it is worth thinking about here, this is someone who's quite young. Um, she's just at the beginning of her juridical career and she may have 30 years on this court. So if you're looking at a 30 year timeline, then yes, her consensus building skills probably make a lot of sense. But I think it just emphasizes that she's someone who has the intellectual firepower to be a dissenter now and the possibility of being a consensus builder in the future. She's truly a justice for all seasons. Where would you say she is ideologically, Professor Johnson? One of the things that's been discussed is that uh, Judge Jackson hasn't necessarily had the opportunity to weigh in on some of the most contentious constitutional issues, say abortion, for example, or certain cases related to race. I'm curious where you would put her, given the fact that she has done what people have described as more technical or technocratic cases. Yeah, and that's that's the nature of the court that she has um, been on. Right. And um, and I, I think that's a good thing. I mean, she's had to um, ruling cases involving criminal defendants and she sentenced people. Um, you know, she's had um, I don't think you could put her in a box in that sense. Um, I mean, I, I would put her, um, uh, you know, broadly speaking and just kind of the mainstream of a lot of Democratic appointees and, and what used to be the mainstream of Republican appointees on some of these issues involving um, administrative law, which are really important to questions around can, um, you know, agencies regulate the environment. But I think we really don't know how she's going to um, rule on abortion and race. I found one race decision that I paid kind of close attention to because um, the issue of affirmative action and what role um, there will be for judicial scrutiny of attempts to kind of remedy racial inequality, even beyond affirmative action. She's ruled on um, questions of affirmative action in ways that have sustained the program. So that's promising for those of us who believe that the you know, government should be engaged in remedying uh, past discrimination and dealing and preventing current discrimination. Um, so um, that's good, but we don't know how she will be on abortion issues. I'm curious to see if Professor Murray has found anything else on the reproductive rights front. Um, mm. But I, I would put her as, as someone who's likely to follow very much in Breyer's footsteps mm. um, on a lot of these issues. Have you, Melissa Murray, found any indications of how she would handle reproductive rights cases or agree with uh, Professor Johnson's assessment? haven't found any cases in her record on the lower federal courts, but I do want to note that um, she actually may, I mean, we may get some ideas about how her own experiences may inform her judging simply by virtue of these two characteristics that have been made so much of the fact that she is a black woman. Um, she will join Clarence Thomas as the second African-American on the bench. And, and to that end, I mean, she will be providing a different and alternative vision of the Black experience. And that may be quite consequential in some questions, including affirmative action. She is not just a Black woman. She's someone raised in the wake of the civil rights movement. She may have markedly different views of affirmative action than does Justice Thomas. And even if she does not 
hold the day and, and win five votes for her position, I do think it's worthwhile that we see another alternative of what that issue might mean for the Black community represented on the court. And in the same vein, she joins Amy Coney Barrett as the second working mother on the court. And I think we got a very good glimpse of the ways in which Justice Barrett leans in to her status as a mother, especially on issues of reproductive rights in December's oral arguments in Dobbs versus Women's Health Organization. And I wonder if Judge Jackson, being a working mother, someone who has sacrificed and talked publicly about the sacrifices she's made in terms of her career for her family, um, might bring a different perspective to that question of whether reproductive rights is necessary to allow women to achieve their employment and educational aspirations. There one, was, yeah, go ahead, uh, Professor Johnson. One thing I would add, too, um, that bears emphasis on the education and affirmative action cases is also that she is the daughter of public school teachers. Um, so one really, and she went to public school herself, a large public school that has been you know, shaped in many ways by um, battles over race and integration. Um, so it will be interesting to see what perspective she brings on how race affects educational outcomes and opportunities. We're talking with law school professor Olatunde Johnson of Columbia Law School and also Professor Melissa Murray of NYU School of Law. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation with your questions about Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson, Judge Brown-Jackson, or what the nomination of Judge Jackson means to you, 866-733-6786, the number. An email address is forum at kqed.org. Our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is at KQED Forum. I guess I should put that question that I'm putting out to the audience to the two of you in terms of whether the nomination of Judge Jackson has personal resonance to you, Melissa Murray, what it means. Of course, it has personal resonance. Um, As an African-American woman in the legal profession, I don't know how this could not be personally resonant. Um, You know, there were so many people considered on the shortlist, the longest shortlist in the world for this position. And I think that was really to the good. It was really a public education exercise that the Biden administration engaged in, making clear to the American public that this was a reservoir of talent that was broad and deep and filled with absolutely excellent prospects um, that had previously gone overlooked in past administrations. And I think a lot of people took great pride in that. And you know, one person was selected, but what a great selection. And I think everyone felt that, you know, this was about Judge Jackson, but it was also about a larger struggle and a glass ceiling that was finally shattered. How about you, Professor Johnson? Yeah, I, you know, I, myself, and I thought of my daughter um, and many of our daughters um, looking at this nomination and what it means for them in terms of what they can aspire to. I mean, it also says something about, Biden um, and his attention to federal courts. Um, We can have some skepticism about maybe whether he is too hopeful about the idea of consensus, but one of the things that he has done is focused on, on appointments to federal courts and has appointed Black women. He's appointed people with public defense experience. Um, He's appointed, um, he's made the courts more diverse in other ways, and I hope that continues. Um, I think a lot of people need to look at this nomination, not just me and Professor Murray as Black women and be inspired. Um, I think we all need to feel a sense of inspiration that maybe we're moving to a place where we're really going to have an inclusive democracy and that our court is going to be a part of that and not an obstacle to that. Let me go to caller Rob in Richmond. Hi, Rob. Hi. 
for the professors, look, at this, Judge Jackson is a wonderful human being. She's got a great background, but not for this position, something many of us feel. The majority of Americans feel that there's a pendulum swing gone too far to criminal coddling and uh, the rights of the criminals over the victims. And and that's in, in all the polls and then the recall of Gascon and the other DA, L.A. DA, uh, the San Francisco DA. So she's great, but it's the last thing we need is I hate to say it, uh, you know, the dark, the dark money, far left dark money, this has been their favorite candidate. And it's, I voted for Obama twice. I'm gay. I voted for Trump twice, too. And it's just a frightening pro- proposition that we're going to get a judge on there who's uh, got a public defender background and is going to uh, continue this horrible trend toward well, I think there, the criminals. There are a lot of. Assumptions potentially. I'd be curious uh, what you what you have to say, Melissa Murray, in terms of Rob's concerns about Judge Jackson. I mean, Rob, I, I really love to know your evidence that she is necessarily pro criminal. Other than that, she was a public defender. I would remind you, and I'm sure you already know that every defendant has a right to counsel, and public offenders do no more than simply provide that constitutional commitment to defense for those who cannot afford it. And so I don't take that as being a radical position. I think it's actually a rule of law and a constitutional position to uphold that constitutional commitment to defense. And I think, I mean, it would add to that. um, You also have a record as as a judge. I mean, to me, it's worrisome, um, and with respect, um, Rob, to, in terms of what you're saying, because it shows that these this is the narrative that's already being put out there, and there really isn't a basis for it. Uh, I think it's really important that people look at her record um, and look at her life experience, too. If you're going to cite that she's a public defender, you also have to cite that she's the daughter of public school teachers, that her, that her um, brother is... Um, in law enforcement and served in the military. I mean, all of those things have to be salient to her background. There's no evidence that she doesn't take issues um, around uh, criminal justice seriously in ways that that, um, are more than just kind of a stereotype. Um, We're talking about the nomination of federal appellate court judge Katanji Brown-Jackson to the U.S. Supreme Court. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Uh, Melissa Murray, feels like a good time to ask you what you expect during her confirmation hearings, especially what you think she'll be pressed on by Republicans. Well, I, I think we've already seen a narrative emerging from the Republican base that she is a member of the radical left. I, I think it's clear, and I, I take Professor Johnson's points um, quite seriously. I don't think that there is a record for that. She has been a judge for almost nine years now, maybe more than nine years. And she has written over 500 opinions. Only 14 of them have been reversed. And of that 14, four were vacated. Um, That's a 2% reversal record. That's pretty small by comparison with some of the other nominees that we've seen. But I do think we are going to see people, um, you know, coming for her, um, which is surprising, I think. And perhaps um, a miscalculation on the part of the Republicans. This is an historic nomination Many people throughout the country are excited. Um, It is not a nomination that I think is likely to change the ideological makeup of the court in the near future. Um, So it's not quite clear what is to be gained from beating up on a nominee who has sterling credentials, a great record, 
and again, is an inspiring nomination to so many. So, you know, I, I would hope that the Republicans might exhibit some restraint here. Let me go to yeah, Joan. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, funny. Professor Johnson. Yeah, I was just going to. I was going to add to that. Um, yeah, that I, I think it's disheartening when you already you know, can hear the sort of talking points, uh, you know, that are, are being lodged, um, you know, uh, around this nomination. I mean, one of the things I would just emphasize is that she was recently elevated from the D- from the district court to the DC circuit. Her record was thoroughly come through and really there was nothing. Um, some Republicans, most Republicans did vote against her. Nevertheless, I think it's an eye towards the Supreme Court. Um, that's what it was about. There's nothing that anyone excavated in her record um, as a judge or as a lawyer um, that warrants a vote. You would expect her to get the same treatment, hopefully, that you know, Breyer and Ginsburg did, and she should have overwhelming support. Well, it sounds like listener Sohail has a similar concern writing, is there any way that Republicans can sabotage, can sabotage Judge Jackson's nomination. I do think you're right, Professor Johnson, in terms of if you look at when she was nominated to the D.C. Circuit and the kinds of things that uh, came up were were very minimal in terms of trying to press her on, for example, um, representing um, uh, people that were being held at Guantanamo, Guantanamo prisoners, as well as I think there was one Republican who criticized her opinion in the McGahn case just because it was favorably quoted by some hosts that he considered um, or a journalist that he considered to be left or liberal. At that time, I believe there were three people who uh, voted for Katanji Brown Jackson. Do you think we would see a similar handful of Republicans basically breaking ranks, Melissa Murray? Well, in the last go round, uh, she was supported by Senators Murkowski, Collins, and Graham. Um, Lindsey Graham, of course, was very much in favor of another prospective nominee, J. Michelle Childs from South Carolina. And he's indicated that he predicts that the confirmation process will be respectful, but interesting. And I'm not quite sure what he means by interesting. Um, but, but we're hopeful that there will be some bipartisan support. But Professor Johnson's correct. Um, Given the polarized nature of our politics, I think it actually speaks more to the dynamics of the Senate than it does to Judge Jackson that we're likely to see a pretty much a party line vote. But I will just emphasize, this is not her first Senate confirmation. She's been confirmed three times already. So she's (laughs) bipartisan support before. Well, Helen tweets, I'm elated as an Asian American lawyer dedicated to the public interest that Judge Brown Jackson is nominated. She inspires us public interest lawyers and lawyers of color. Professor Melissa Murray, Professor Olatunde Johnson, thank you both. And thanks, listeners, for listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. 
even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.